welcome to the Real Family Guys podcast with Jeff Emery and Trey Gibson, the show where education and experience collide to help you go deeper in your parenting. Broadcasting from Abilene, Texas, here are your hosts, Jeff and Trey. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Real Family Guys podcast. This is the show where experience and education collide. Kaboom, chicka, boom, boom. To take you deeper in your parenting. The date today is June the 17th, 2016. Our topic for today is parenting when you can't even get kicked in the feels. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit today about emotions. If you guys can't tell, Jeff and I come from a background that is steeped in emotional intelligence and understanding how emotions work for us uh, as adults and as well as that. How do we teach that to our kids? We're going to talk a little bit today about that. How do we understand emotions to their fullest and how do we teach our kids to handle their emotions as well? We're going to talk about a couple of words, empathy and sympathy. What's the difference and how do those apply to emotions? Guys, going to be a good one today. It may seem simple, may seem small. Stay tuned for this one. I'm telling you guys are going to love it. Some of the distinctions that we're going to cover today are very, very big. Before we do that, let's get into some quick housekeeping for today. If you guys want to stay notified of all new episodes here at the Real Family Guys Podcast, just jump over to thefamilypodcastnetwork.com. That is the sister station of the Real Family Guys Podcast. Over on the right-hand side, you'll see a cool little green box that says enter your email, and you can get your updates. Whenever you enter your name and email address in that, you get updated of all the new episodes that come out here at the Real Family Guys Podcast. Make sure you never miss out on that one episode if you just could have caught it. Might have changed everything about your week. Guys, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, or concerns, shoot them over to us. I want to say thank you to John for all the questions you shot over to us. We are looking at putting together a show for what you got. We're going to be very careful in how we put that together. Uh, Thanks for shooting those over to us. If anybody else has any topics or questions, comments, uh, things you want to cover, maybe just an article you want to email us thinking, hey, you guys might like this. Dude, send it to us. We love that stuff. We want to cover the stuff that y'all find. Uh, The stuff that y'all can uh, shoot over to us can be great and pertinent to other families out there that want to hear what you found. So shoot those over to us. You can do that by emailing us, Trey Gibson at thefamilypodcastnetwork.com or Jeff at texasfamilyinstitute.org. Does not matter which one of those you send them to. Shoot us what you got. We want to answer your questions. You can also call us. Maybe you're on the road, you're driving, you want to leave us a message. You can call us 661-PARENT-0. Again, that number is 661 parent and the number zero whenever you call that number you'll get a little automated uh, voicemail system you can leave your message we'll put it up on the show and see about answering your question let us know what questions you have for us all right with all of that out of the way today jeffrey what are we talking about today and trey i i just i can't even i'm just (laughs) (sighs) you know (laughs) we're trying to come up with the uh with the the title for uh, for today's podcast and uh, and we're just some things that, that we're just not very good at doing and the the whole can't even meme um, has has spawned some really really silly jokes like uh, you know um, why are white girls so odd because they can't even because they can't uh, even I can't even I can't even do this right now I can't I can't even and we were talking about uh, you know just how, how are we going to title this uh, sometimes. What what are what are dads generally not good at that we can't even do and uh, and so the topic today is actually uh, going to be empathy yeah. uh, because I think stereotypically people tend to think that dads are not the nurturers they're the ones who can't yeah. even that's right, right? yeah 
Um, and when it comes to being in touch with our kids' emotions, or heck, even being in touch with our own emotions, there's this uh, this stereotype that, uh, that that men are just bad at this. And so we're we're going to try and blow that out of the water, right? We're going to kick people in the feels, and so that's that's where our title came from today. That uh, that that uh, getting kicked in the feels means that uh, when we think we can't even, uh, we actually can. Well, I want to extend this out too, and and get folks thinking a little bit about how this can apply to them. Uh, maybe you're a single mom, and dad's not in the picture right now, and you're like, well, Trey, Jeff, this isn't necessarily uh, pertinent to me. Uh, if you are raising a young man, it still is. Uh, man, do I wish that he had a man that could be teaching him those things. Maybe one day he will have that in his life. But regardless, maybe at this moment, you are all he's got. And uh, we want you moms that have single moms as well to, to be encouraged that uh, you can still teach your sons uh, to be what we're going to be talking about today, even if there's not uh, a guy involved in the situation. So stay tuned for this. It's a great, I'm telling you guys, it's a great show. You want to hang on to it. So one of the things that uh, that I have held on to that I've learned from uh, from my dad, I remember at one point um, in a bit of, of parenting um, wisdom that he was trying to pass on, uh, he told me, son, there are two things that have served me better in life than any other skill. And of course, I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, well, what were they, dad? <laughs> and uh, And the first one was how to repair your car. Yeah. And I can I can attest that this has been a lifelong skill that has served not only my dad but our family well. Um, you know, I remember um, one of the the first jobs he had supporting our family was working at Sears. You know, doing regular tune ups on cars and things like that. And over the years, being able to save money on buying a used car and do his own repairs and change the oil and and do repairs. But the thing was, Trey, unfortunately, um, that did not get handed down to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely identify a spark plug, much less change one. And, um, you know, I, I have the basic concept. Um, uh, I remember a scene in, in the, the show Big Bang Theory where you have all these really smart Ph.D. theoretical physicist guys, right? And their car breaks down and, and uh, one of them says, does anybody have any idea how an internal combustion engine works? And they all go, yeah, sure, of course we do. He's like, anybody have any idea how to fix one? They're all like, no, no idea, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I know kind of how one works, but, uh, but at the same time, um, the last time that my car did something weird and I, I didn't even open the, the hood and I took it to the, to the mechanic and he's like, well, do you, do you look under the hood? What? And I said, that would have done absolutely no good. None whatsoever. Yeah, I took a look. It looks nice. It looks like an engine. I, See, look, I, I opened it up I, and said, yep. I, I came from no training in that, at least. You know, my dad's understanding of that. He Most of the time, he just paid a mechanic to do it. But, you know, we, we live off of a single income, and we stay home with seven kids. And so, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to reduce costs. And that's one of the things that I do it in, too, is is I, I, I look for ways to do it in automotive stuff as well. Sure. And uh, But I will say that my tutor, you know who taught me everything? That- YouTube. YouTube, right. YouTube has taught me just about everything I need to know about mechanics that I need to know. There's way more to it. But everything that I can do, I, YouTube's been my dad. Wow. <laughs> sounds, sounds, like an, sounds like an ebook there. That's, yeah, the that's, right. that's it, right. Yeah. Everything I need to learn about fixing a motorcycle that's and the right. art of zen. Wait. Every time, you, yeah, every time you guys look up something on, on YouTube from this point on, I get 10 cents. <laughs> way to monetize so yeah so obviously being able to work with your hands and, and do uh you know money saving cost saving um helpful things with with mechanics um has obviously been a great thing for my dad i've seen it uh but i unfortunately didn't inherit it on the other hand the second skill that he said has served him well his entire life um i think i've done pretty well with and that is the ability to speak in public 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think being well-spoken and uh, and being able to overcome that fear because uh, outside of the fear of death, I think fear of, of speaking in public is like the number two phobia that uh, that most people have. Did you, were you aware of that? Oh, I, I didn't know what number it was, but I, I actually thought... It's that up there. I thought agoraphobia or speaking in public was number one. I actually thought that was number one, but I knew it was high. So obviously I just didn't know. I just I knew it was high, so... So, um, you know, when, when I'm talking to my dad and I'm getting that advice from him, son, the two best things that have served me well in life, I'm like, all right, well, I got one of them, right? Um, but I ran across this article um, on a website called Hey Sigmund um, that was titled, The Single Most Important Skill to Teach Your Child. And of course, that that piqued my interest. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to check this out, right? And it's an article that's a, a guest post on this website. Uh, the website itself uh, is maintained by a lady named Karen. Um, but uh, this is a guest post by a, a gentleman named uh, Mickey or Mikey Dediger, uh, who I think we determined was was um, what Norwegian or Finnish or something. Swede, Sweden, from Sweden. Swedish. Um, regardless, he's a, he's a pretty smart fellow and he had a lot of good things to say. But um, as I read through it, I was like, well, he's talking about empathy, but uh, but. I think empathy is one of those weird words that we sometimes get confused with uh, with other similar terms. And so, before we actually get into the article, uh, I thought we'd uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, what the difference is between empathy and sympathy. Because if indeed the most important skill to teach our children is empathy, that's great. But let's make sure what we know that we know what it is, right? You know, and I I think it's very easy to get these two confused. And, and this may sound oversimplified again, but these little fundamentals like this are some of the things that we spend some of the least time going over. And I'm telling you, Jeff, I don't think there's a better I don't think there's a better approach to go with than to start with defining what is empathy and what is sympathy, because I think we often use them interchangeably and synonymously right. when they're in fact extremely different things right there's some inaccuracy when uh, when we think that we're being sympathetic when we're trying to be empathetic um and uh, so knowing the difference is uh, is, is pretty important um so we start off with a with a little lesson in uh, in German and Trey. I love I love like the etymology of words and going in and finding out where they came from because I I just find it fascinating. And so the beginning of of um, of this article that uh, that we'll also have in the show notes that talks about the difference between sympathy and empathy, um, it's found on Psychology Today, a uh, great little article. Um, and he starts off by by telling us where the word came from. Uh, it first showed up in 1909. A psychologist named Edward Titchener um, translated the German word Einfühlung. <laughs> Einfühlung, yeah. Einfühlung. That just I, sounds great. I know, I I know we have a lot of negative associations with German, but I find the German language to be absolutely beautiful. It's a lot of fun to say. I, I, I don't always know what half the words mean, but uh, but having lived in Germany for a while, I've got a pretty good ear for how to pronounce things. And so uh, I can I can read German and make it sound like I know what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, my my unfortunately, the vocabulary uh, didn't didn't stick with me. So I'd have to do a lot more study. At any rate, uh, this is just one word. And it actually literally means feeling into and so when it got translated or transliterated actually uh, into English as empathy, uh, we could define it as a person's ability to recognize and to share the emotions of another person. And not necessarily another person, but uh, it could even be a fictional par- a character, right? Um, it's a skill that involves being able to see somebody else's situation from that person's perspective and then sharing in those emotions and, if if there is any, uh, in into their distress. Mm. So um, 
that's a, that's a pretty powerful description for me um, to be able to recognize and share the emotions of another person. Well, you know, well, let me give an example that's recent for sure. us as the Gibson family that'll help kind of distinguish distinguish us. Do you know, as of as September second, two thousand fifteen, of course, Gibson family had a a fire at the Ovalo house, and you know, we lost everything, and we had lots of people that would come up to us say, "I'm so." Sorry. I'm so sorry for what happened. That's sorrow, right? They felt bad about what happened, right? And that's a natural human reaction, and it's a wonderful thing. That ability to see something bad happen to somebody and to feel that sorrow for them is a beautiful thing. And I believe that we are built to do that, and that and that ability to look and see the hurt that other people feel and acknowledge so, that's what they're going through. So what would sympathy look like? Because that sounds a lot like sympathy, having that pity on sympathy. somebody else's situation. That's exactly what I'm saying. That That right. is sympathy. However, we also had a doctor who, at the time, we were pregnant with uh, with, with Army, and he hadn't been born yet. And so we were seeing our, our OB-GYN. And our OB-GYN uh, uh, was just a fantastic lady. Well, guess what they had gone through themselves? They had been through a fire. And we sat down with her one day. Her name was Dr. Bullock. And she was just sitting there, oh, gosh, I remember this. And I remember these things happened. And then I remember right after the fire, I was feeling this way. And I remember all this stuff. And she goes, I remember, when you know, Corey, when you said this the other day, I was thinking that, oh, my gosh, this is what that feels like. And it was like, for us, we had heard a thousand I am sorry's. But that right, one but instance the first one. where she was explaining things that we understood, and I could see, a, I mean, it was visceral, the reaction that she was yeah. having at that moment. She was feeling what we were feeling in some capacity. And I started and I thought, wow, that is the embodiment of empathy. She is feeling what we are feeling right now, even though she is not going through that. She's got a big, beautiful house. She's got, I mean, just all, she squared away. That was like 10 years ago. But mm-hmm. I could see her in that moment experiencing the pain that we were feeling right in that moment. Empathy. So the first one is, I feel sorry for you. Sympathy. The other one was, I can identify with your emotions. One of the biggest questions that people ask in this is, do I have to go through something to be able to empathize? In some cases, that's one of the best ways to do it, but not necessarily. Sometimes we can yeah, even connect on certain levels. You know, we had another lady who came up. She goes, I remember when my house got robbed. And she was walking through some of the feelings that she had as the insurance people were coming through and mm-hmm. how they just kind of treated everything as just like stuff. But for you, it was it was your it was your life. You know what I'm saying? And we were yeah. able to empathize. She empathized with us on that level. And so empathy does not necessarily mean I've gone through this, but it allows us to draw from the experiences that that we've had in our life and connect with somebody else on an emotional level and say, man, I remember what that feels like. Trey, that, those were two great examples that, uh, that, that very clearly delineate exactly what we're talking about. Um, and I, I don't think I could, I mean, I've got, I've got similar situations that I could say, but I don't think any of my examples would, would do more than what, what yours just did. That was great. Um, and, and I think that uh, that second element that he talked about, not just seeing uh, the situation from the other person's perspective and, and, and experiencing those feelings or, or something analogous to those feelings, but, but the important part is being able to identify with, with the distress that may be involved there, right? Because we don't generally see empathy coming into play when somebody's experiencing joy. Right, uh, we all experience joys in joy different ways, and and I don't need somebody else to experience the joy the same way I'm feeling it in order to feel connected to them. But when it comes to empathy, experiencing this the distress in a similar way to how I've experienced it makes a connection. And so I, I think yeah. that 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 distress element uh, really kind of defines things. And and you did a great job with your examples showing how how that distress is something that they can relate to, either because they've been through something similar or because they they've had um, a, a a similar situation happen. So, um, but 
the second paragraph that they talk about here in the Psychology Today article, um, I, I think, takes it to that level that, that you were taking it, that we don't just share in somebody else's perspective. We almost have to kind of um, use that part of our brain that is that imaginative process and actually imagine ourselves in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Imagine ourselves as that other person in that situation because we can't empathize with an abstract or a detached feeling. We've got to personalize it. Um, and he, he quotes John Steinbeck, and this is a great quote. Um, he says, John Steinbeck wrote, it means very little to know that a million Chinese are starving unless you know one Chinese who is starving. Oh, that's right? you got to have that. Man, you got to have that good. personal connection to to really be able to 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 empathize. We can't do it in a detached, abstract way. It's got to be something like you said, visceral. That was a great word. Um, and so, why does this get confused? <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, that sometimes because the words sound very similar, um, that that we. We think that we're being empathetic when we're actually being sympathetic. Yes. But having been on the receiving end of somebody's sympathy, um, that gets old really quick. Like, like you said, you had a thousand people come up to you and say they were sorry. And I believe they were sincere. Yes, absolutely. But, but, after, but after a while, it just it feels hollow. And sympathy doesn't have that same connecting power. Um, and and oh, oh, one of the synonyms that, that you could put with sympathy would be pity. Right. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely and, agreed. And I don't want to be pitied. Right. I appreciate your sympathy, but pity is almost this "you poor idiot" kind of feeling, or "oh, what terrible things have happened to you." It's it's you're not you're not putting yourself in my shoes. You are are simply by your sympathy, you're reminding me how different we are. <laughs> you're reminding you're not me in that my situation. situation sucks. I got exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. And so pity is that feeling of discomfort. That somebody else is in distress, right? And and it has these um, the way the, the writer of this article puts it. I think it's great. He says, uh, pity and sympathy often have condescending overtones, right? That um, that there's this notion that goes along with pity that the object of pity, if it's you, that oh you don't deserve what's happening to you, or you know you're uh, you're powerless, you're unable to prevent it. And so pity isn't is a way of staying detached. It's not a way of of joining another person in their emotional distress. And so it often just doesn't have the same power that empathy has. I love what he says here. He says, pity is less engaged than empathy, sympathy, or compassion, amounting to little more than conscious acknowledgement of the plight (laughs) of the object. What an outstanding way to put those words together. That's excellent. Well, and and I think that this comparison, as we've as we've kind of compared these two terms and these two concepts, uh, really feeds into what the the uh, assertion of, of the previous article that we mentioned. The single most important skill we can teach our child um, is not to pity other people, but to be able to empathize with them, because empathy builds connection. Empathy builds relationship. And as we say on the Real Family Guys podcast, this is the bedrock of parenting: That's is right. being able to do things out of relationship with our kids, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, even retrospectively, and, and I want you guys to hear me say, I am not dogging on the people that said they that they were sorry for us, but I cannot remember a face of the people who came by and said that they were, they were sorry. But let me tell you, folks like Dr. Bullock stand out like a candle in the dark type thing mm-hmm. i mean you know that that because that was an emotional relational connection with you and it's it's amazing I'm, t- I'm like i said i know this sounds like we're beating this to, to to death guys but it's amazing how powerful empathy is 
So now that we've acknowledged the difference between sympathy and pity uh, as compared to empathy, and we've we've kind of just reiterated what we said plenty of times before, that empathy is really important. Let's flip back to the other article here, uh, to the the, um, the Hey Sigmund article. Um, like I said, the title is what kind of caught my attention, the single most important skill you can teach your child. And I don't think that I'm going to be able to pass on this uh, mechanical ability that uh, that my dad had. Um, and for some reason, I've never I've never been able to to find enough motivation or interest to to learn it on my own. Um, but I do want to pass this skill on to my children. I, I want them to not only understand what empathy is and to be able to see me model it for them. But I, I think that because this is a really important skill, I want to be very proactive at how do I help my child develop empathy and then how can I help them understand how important it is for themselves yeah. and for them to, to you know continue and pass on to their kids as well. Yeah, agreed. So um, I, I, I've got any number of examples of, of times where I have had to um, look past my child's behavior and try to get at their feelings. Um, but I, I, I'm thinking right now, not of my children, but, uh, but this last week, uh, Trey, I, I spent a week at a, at a place, um, well, at a camp that was called camp courage. Have, have I talked to you about this? No, you haven't mentioned on the show and uh, okay. you and I both have done camp courage before. Yeah, Camp Courage is a great camp. It's uh, it's it's sponsored by one of our local nonprofit hospitals uh, called Hendrick here in, in Abilene. And Camp Courage is a, uh, a an annual camp that, uh, that they do where uh, kids who have experienced some sort of grief or loss are able to uh, to come to the camp. Either uh, a loss through a death of, of a, a loved one or a family member, or uh, a divorce, or uh, in the case we have a military base here of a deployment, an extended deployment, or even incarceration. Sometimes. Uh, by no fault of their own, the kids are deprived of the parents because the parents are locked up. Yeah, the entire um, premise of Camp Courage is absolutely a gorgeous thing, especially since they cover deployment and the divorce thing, too. I, I, it's just a wonderful place. And this is my second year to, to be able to participate. And so one of the classes I was asked to teach was, um, uh, was they, they call it anger management, but I, I think I've said before, I don't really like that term. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as more, well, kind of what we're doing right now. How do we handle our emotions? Identifying and regulating our emotions, right? And uh, at, at the core of this is uh, is being able to be empathetic. And uh, and I just remember, as as we're looking at this article here and, and talking about, um, you know, when we see kids behaving a certain way, oftentimes we get stuck on their behavior and we don't try to understand what feelings they're having. And so I was, I was teaching this class that the kids are in there and we're talking about – how anger functions for us. And, and, uh, we're, we're doing this little exercise where each color of a package of M&Ms represents a different aspect of what we're talking about. And, and one at a time they, there's a bunch of M&Ms in front of them and they get to eat, a, you know, the green represents, um, how a uh, time that we've handled anger well, and red represents how anger shows up in our body and brown. Anyhow. So they all had different things. And as I'm sitting there talking to them about anger and, and so <laughs> two kids suddenly have this outburst. And one of them is like, Hey, give it back. Okay, now remember, this is a group of kids that, uh, that have already experienced some sort of trauma and don't have very good emotional regulation anyhow. So I'm like, uh-oh, what's going on here, right? In the anger management class, one of these kids has an outburst. And what had happened, you know, when you, when you dump the M&Ms out on the table, well, they, they don't stay in one place. They kind of scatter and you have to kind of scoop them back up. Well, in the process of emptying his package out on the table, one of them had, had scattered far enough into this other boy's area that, that he just kind of reached over. After he, I don't think he did it on purpose, but he saw this 
loose M&M. And so he kind of scooted it into his pile, which prompted the other kid, hey, he took my M&M. All right. So I'm like, in the middle of, of talking about all this stuff, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And they thought that they were getting in trouble for their behavior because that's what happens normally when, when you start fussing and you, you know, accuse another kid of something. And so they look at me like a deer in a headlight, like they're about to get in trouble for, and, and the one kid that shouted, he's like, he took, he took this from, from me, kind of expecting that I was going to take his side and make the other kid give it back. But I had, <laughs> I had no interest in trying to change your behavior. <laughs> I was sitting here talking about feelings, and I was like, oh, what's happening? Oh, guys, guys, we just talked about how anger comes up other feelings. This is great. What are you feeling right now? <laughs> and he looks at me like, what's wrong with this guy? And he's like, uh, mad? <laughs> I'm like, that's great. Okay, so you're feeling mad, but there's something underneath the mad. What, what else are you feeling? And he's like, uh, I said, you're accusing him of taking something. Do you feel maybe like, do you feel like robbed? Do you feel like, like somebody's done something wrong to you? Is that nice? Do you feel maybe hurt? And he considers this for a second. He's like, yeah, I feel, I feel robbed. I said, okay, that's great. Hold on to that. And I look at the other guy and I'm like, oh, he just accused you of something that you, you don't think that you did. How do you feel right now? And you know, he's a sixth grade kid. He's like, oh, uh, I don't know. Mad? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he starts repeating what the other kid said. But but we started diving a little bit deeper because I was trying to get them to understand that there's other emotions yeah, here, right? Good. And this is this is what emotion coaching is. It is not getting hung up on on the behaviors of our kids and being able to help them understand the feelings that are prompting their behaviors, right? You know, so, I really think this is empathy. I, if we that there's a magic in that. I think if we could get to the point that we saw every bad behavior as the symptom of some other emotion other than anger going on underneath the surface. I, let me rephrase that. I know for me it would change a large portion of what I do because I have a tendency to see behaviors and I try to I try to take the uh, <laughs> I'm the dad and the the turd parent approach and and try to <laughs> shut down that bad behavior instead of saying okay. What what has got him feeling this way? This happened to me the other day. It's a classic case of ask me <laughs> T- how I know. Time to tell on yourself. Ask ask me how I know this. And the other how, day, how do you know this? Right, my my son was just man. He was being a butt, and he was just doing dirty things. And my son, you gotta understand, my son is our compassionate one. He's the one that when a baby when when army cries, he pauses his video game and sprints to go get a pacifier or to volunteer to feed him or to change his diaper. I mean, he just loves his little brother and he loves taking care of his little brother. And so he's my compassionate one. And lately he just, there's just been times where he hadn't been compassionate. And I was just, I was trying to, to just Thor's hammer his (laughs) bad little emotions out of him. And finally one day I was just like, son, what's, what's going on, dude? And my son looked at me, and he was frowning, and I mean, the next thing I know, his eyes liquefy, and he begins to weep. Not cry. I'm talking that that weeping that there is very little that you can do unless you're in a hard place to not just hurt for somebody. He began to weep, and he goes, Dad, I haven't seen you in almost two weeks, and we haven't played and let me tell you, <laughs> all oh, of a sudden, all of these little behaviors that I was so pissed about just went... They were gone. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had just Empathy. as much to do with with what was going on there. But the the thing about that was I couldn't have gotten to that place if I couldn't for a minute have seen my son weeping and step into him for a little bit. And remember, I know what that feels like, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so in, in reciprocity here, uh, you told on yourself, and I, I had a, a similar situation where I, I was a, a bit of a, a jerk myself this uh, this last week. Um, my, my son Ethan had his best friend come down from Oklahoma, stay a week with him. And this is a great summer treat to get your best friend to come and, and have a, a you know, five-night sleepover. Uh, they were going to a Minecraft camp at uh, the local technology school here uh, where they get to you know play Minecraft all day. It's awesome. They were having a great time. Is that so Adams? In the is evening, that Adams? Yeah, at, at yeah. Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in the evening they come home and, you know, we've made dinner and, and he and, and his best friend are being, you know, typical 12, 13 year old kids and, and especially boys and, and being silly and, and, uh, and his younger sister, Eleanor, uh, my, my, uh, my youngest daughter has, um, she was just being herself and she was sitting there at the, at the kitchen bar, uh, you know, sitting on the bar stool, getting ready to eat dinner. And Ethan was on the side of the, uh, of the little Island there where, where the sink was. And she said, Hey, Ethan, can you fill up my, my water? And he says, oh, you can do it. And I was like, Ethan, and he's like, I don't want to. And I was like, Ethan, you're standing right next to the sink. What? And, and he, he's like, dad. And in that moment, I was I was so caught up in the behavior trade that I I saw, and this is how fast my brain went there. I saw him posturing in front of his friend, um, you know, picking on your younger sisters, kind of that that rite of passage of you know, and not only that, but she'd been kind of she wanted to hang out with him because they're they're cool and and they're doing fun stuff, and so he's kind of been annoyed by her already, and so it just spilled over into into what I saw as as willful rudeness, right? Yeah. And instead of, you know, saying, well, let me show you how to be kind, son, and then getting up and just and demonstrating or modeling for him, I looked at him and I, I hate to say this, I <laughs> fell back on, on mild behavior. I yelled at him, Trey. I mean, in front of his friend, in front of his sister, I raised my voice in an unkind tone. I put, and I, I wasn't emotion coaching him at that moment. <laughs> I was like, Ethan, why? I mean, I, I literally yelled at her. Why not? There's no reason you can't just fill your sister's cup with water. That, you know what? This is just selfish and rude. And he had no words. He just kind of, uh, you know, it was like a, a blade of grass, just like bending at the at the forcefulness of my reprimand. <laughs> and um, and I immediately caught myself. I mean, that's as far as I got. And I sat back down. And I picked up, I reached over and got Ellie's cup, and, and then I got up again and walked around and filled up her water. And uh, and Ethan didn't say anything, but he left the kitchen and went up to his room. And I was like, oh, saying all sorts of stuff in my head. I was like, I messed up. I messed up, right? And the thing about it was, and this is where the emotion coaching piece came in because I want to redeem myself here. I, I, I hope I, I handle it pretty well. I, I gave it a few minutes and I went up to his room. And of course he's he's sitting on his bed just crying, and on the one hand, I was right to call him out. He was being rude, but the way that I did it was just horrible. And uh, and so I said, I said I shouldn't have done that, son. And I apologized to him. And after I finished apologizing, I said, you know, I, I still think it was rude, but I should not have treated you that way. That was unkind of me. And ironically, I'm trying to get you to be nice by doing it in a mean way, and that just doesn't work. And I'm I, I messed up. I hope you can forgive me. And, and he nodded that he forgave me, but he was still crying. I said, brother, I wonder what else is going on. And he said, dad, I don't know. I said, are you feeling frustrated? Yeah. Okay. Do you know why? No, my friend's here. And I'm, you know, I, I don't. And he was just crying. And I said, well, let, let me take a guess at something here. 
I know you love your sister Ellie, but in the past couple months, she has decided that she was going to go to your school next year because he's in a different school district, and she decided she was going to go to his school. So next year, guess who's invading the school? Mm, Little sister. Yeah. And she's just coming up into the youth group at church, and so all the things he was able to do uh, and go be apart from and, and have his own, well, now she's stepping in, and she gets to do his church stuff. And now his friend's here, and she wants to hang out. I'm like, do you feel just kind of overwhelmed that, that you can't get away from her? <laughs> is, is that feeding into why you were feeling rude to her? Now, that still doesn't excuse it. But, man, if I felt like I, my life was being invaded and all the stuff that made me me was being taken over by somebody else, I'd probably be pretty upset, too. You know? and, and that's that empathy piece is trying to step into his shoes and try and figure out what he might be feeling. And to coach him, even when he didn't have words to put to those feelings, to kind of help him figure that out. You know, so, it, it's interesting when you think about about empathy, and when you're in a place where you're empathetic towards other people, uh, it makes you insightful uh, mm-hmm. towards th- emotional things. And you know, we've talked. To, you guys have heard us use uh, a lot. We use the terminology of the Arbinger Institute because Jeff and I both just absolutely adore how they word things. Mm-hmm. Yes. But one of the things that they say in that is, is they talk about what they call being in the box. Now, in the box just means when you're in that bad place towards another person, where you're seeing them as a problem, uh, as a turd, as a jerk, as uh, being little little buttheads if it's our kids or you know uh, rebellious or whatever else and that can be towards our sibling our kids they call that being in the box and what they say is is that the, there's there's a phrase that they use and you gotta understand the guy who wrote this stuff is brilliant and he is a philosopher he is a modern day philosopher I can sit down with the guy and talk for hours with this dude and <laughs> so he's just sharp but his best way that he worded this and I think he nailed it was he said when we are in a place where you're in the box we become stupid. <laughs> and he doesn't mean that in a hurtful way, but he's exactly right. I mean, I want you to think about at the time when you lacked empathy towards another person and, and, and the things that we will come up with to try and justify treating them as though they're this problem or a jerk or whatever else. And, and we'll miss these things like all I saw in my son, all I saw in Grant was that he was being a turd, he was being a jerk, and I was totally oblivious to the fact that for the last two weeks I hadn't been there. I hadn't played with the kids. I'd been gone before they woke up, home by the time they were already tucked into bed, mm-hmm. and constantly for two weeks. And it, I, something that I normally could have picked up on, it's amazing when you enter a place of non-empathy, of apathy, I guess we probably call that. When you enter a place of apathy, you become a little bit stupider when it comes to what other people are going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, which just goes back to speak to that power of empathy. That it, it it creates space for us to see from a different perspective, right? Um, so this uh, this article that we're looking at uh, here from from Hay Sigmund's the most important skill to teach your child. Um, the the author talks about uh, a a methodology that uh, that's called emotion coaching. Uh, emotion coaching was uh, developed by a guy named. Uh, this approach was developed by a guy named Heim Gnott. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it, that's my best yeah, guess. Yeah, no, it works for me. Um, he was a child therapist and a clinical psychologist, and his work was to explore as an adult how can I respect children's feelings while setting limits on their behavior. And honestly. That sounds a lot like parenting to me, or at least how parenting ought to be, right? And so um, he had a, an interesting way of saying it. The core of the approach of emotion coaching is that what we resist persists. Mm. Or if you say it a different way, when we deny our feelings, 
they grow more intense and confusing. But when we acknowledge our feelings, it creates room for us to heal and learn how to solve problems, right? Um, and I think that's brilliant. This is, I mean, this just validates my approach to parenting. There's a name for it. Hey, it's emotion coaching, <laughs> right? Um, you know, emotions are one of those things that it always fascinates me that we don't spend more time talking about. I, I think that to a certain extent, People think that emotions are almost genetic. It's like we pass down our understanding of emotions down to our next kids through our genes. And so there's not really much any use to talk about them. But the reality is, is that it is unlike any other skill, whether it's automotive, like you mentioned at the start, right? right? You know, having somebody that can, that can pass the knowledge down. This is an alternator. This is a... This is an oil filter. Here's how it works. Here's how you remove it. Here's how you replace it. Here's how you oil the gasket before you put it back in, right? You know, yeah, there's knowledge teach, here. There's that knowledge that you have to put a name to it or else you're like, hey, there's a little orange thing that looks kind of like a turtle shell. Okay, well, that's the fill in the blank, right? And if mm-hmm. we don't have somebody to connect those things, then we don't have a full grasp of what those are. And you certainly can't communicate those to the next generation of people if you don't have a good, solid understanding of those things. And emotions are no different. Your kids do not come out understanding what the feeling of anger is translates into. Describe it. They yeah. know what they feel like when they're going through it, but they can't say, oh, they can't articulate, oh, this is anger. And it is incumbent upon us as parents to be able to instruct and teach them that. That's why this stuff is so important. Emotions are just like everything else. They have to, kids have to be educated in it. And we have to give them a context because they're going to feel things naturally, but unless they can contextualize it, unless they can um, describe it, unless they can label it, they're not going to be able to 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 wrap their brains around it and, and have words to express it. And so if they don't have words to express it, it's going to come out in their behavior, right? So as as parents, not just uh, the article talks about fathers, but as parents, I think that, um, that our ability to to be aware of our kids' feelings and to help them solve problems is going to have benefits. In fact, uh, the article cites some research by one of our favorite uh, clinical psychologists, John Gottman. Gottman! Um, Gottman, we love him. Um, who says when fathers or parents are aware of kids' feelings and try to help them solve the pro- those problems, here's the outcomes. Children do better in schools and in relationships with others. Now, in contrast, an emotionally distant parent, especially dads, who are harsh, critical, or dismissing of our children's emotions can have a deeply negative impact. Kids are more likely to do poorly in school, fight more because their only way to deal with things is behaviorally with violence, and even have poor health. So, uh, Gottman outlines what he calls uh, the five steps of emotion coaching. And if uh, if you want some more information, a great book he's written called "Raising an Emotionally an Emotionally Intelligent Child" uh, talks about these things in more depth. But this is kind of the the crux of what we're talking about. Now that we've kind of established how important and how powerful empathy is, and what an important role it plays in what we ought to be doing as parents in in coaching our children and passing along this important skill. Here's this five step process that uh, the Gottman kind of lays out for us and in kind of a bullet point um, process of how do we do this better, right? So the first step is that we have to become aware of our child, uh, our child's feelings, yeah, right? That's and that's, that sounds really simple, but <laughs> it is so hard when I, when I'm working with adults, Trey, this is so funny. And, and we're doing a, the, like the speaker listener exercise in therapy. And part of the speaker listener exercise is to be able to try to develop empathy by reflecting the other person's emotions. Right. So, so all the time I'll have people like, Oh yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. And so the other person will say something and I say, okay, so what what I, I need you to paraphrase them and, and talk and use a feeling word. They're like, okay, all right, all right. Um, so I heard what you said, and I feel like you're being a jerk. 
<laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 Wait just a minute. second. That's not um, that. That's not being aware of the other person's feelings. That's, that's, a that's, uh, that's yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is a really hard thing to do, right? Um, and I think that, that the first step is that we have to be aware of our own feelings. And we have to have words and, and even an emotional vocabulary to be able to describe what we feel. Right? No, and let's let's delineate this here. You know, Jeff and I study this stuff for a living because we're huge dorks and we love this stuff. <laughs> we're not indicating that everybody needs to be with where we where Jeff and I are talking about when it comes to all this. It, it's the difference between saying like, oh, if I want to learn how to drive that car that's sitting under my carport right now, then I need to go and learn how to be a stock car or an indie racer driver. That's not what we mean. Everybody needs to have a fundamental level of skill to be able to sit down in their car and drive somewhere. That doesn't mean that they're going to be driving their car at 250 miles per hour around in a circle on a track racing, you know, 75 other, other, other racers. What we're saying is everybody needs a fundamental level of understanding. A good grasp or else, I mean, let's stick with the metaphor here. Emotionally, if you don't have a good grasp of the fundamentals, you're going to get into a big, massive wreck. But you need to have those just some basic skills to keep you on the road without dying. When I'm talking to my clients about this, Trey, sometimes I'll, um, uh, as, as we're talking about things, I'll ask them, okay, give me, give me an emotion word right now. And what I'll, I'll often find is that people don't, don't have just the emotional vocabulary. And so I'll actually play a game with them where I'll get a, a set of flashcards that just have the letters of the alphabet on them. And we'll just take some time in my office. I'll say, okay, let's come up with, with uh, three emotion words for the letter A, for the letter B, for the letter C. And we'll go through the entire alphabet. And, uh, we usually we have a pretty good vocabulary, but we don't know that we know those things. And so the way I explain it to, to my clients, especially when it comes to like anger, um, if the only word that we have for anger is mad or angry, then that's the only way we'll be able to express it. We can't show the the level of intensity to which we're mad. And so I'll I'll kind of draw um, uh, a scale on on my whiteboard in my office, and on one end I'll put uh, furious, and on the other point I'll I'll put annoyed. Right? Okay. So on either end of this anger scale, we've got words that can describe. Yeah, I'm annoyed. I'm ticked off. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed. I'm upset. I'm you know all the way to I'm in a rage. I'm furious. I'm uh, boiling over. I'm you know. So when we have different words to be able to to. Um, to more precisely indicate the level of the intensity of the emotion that we're feeling, then we are better able to express ourselves, right? So one of the first things that, that we do is uh, is we become aware of our own feelings and, and we start to develop that vocabulary to be able to help our children do, do theirs, which is actually um, – well, it's actually step three, <laughs> uh, step three or step four. So I'm skipping things here. So first step, according to John Gottman, is become aware of your child's feelings, right? You know, I, I read an article a while back, Jeff, that, there, that they listed out over 130 different emotional states that the human can be in. Mind you, mm-hmm. this is different emotional states. So right. mad and angry could not be used because they would consider those, they would consider the that same. a double effect, right? So right. they, they indicated 130 different emotional states, and what they found was is that most adults, 30 and above, can only name eight of those, right. two to three of which were typically synonyms. So they would say angry and mad, or they would say you know sad, and you know, they, they would use words that mean the same thing. So, so I, I think that, uh, that that just highlights that even as adults, there's room for us to grow in becoming aware of our own feelings so that we can help our children become aware of theirs, right? Right, that's so that's step one. Step two is we need to be able to recognize an opportunity 
um, when our children is ha- our, our child or, or our children are having behaviors that, that we want to dismiss as just behaviors or them being encouraged or you know that in the box thinking that you were talking about earlier that um, that instead of seeing their feelings and feeling uncomfortable because we don't know what to do that or feeling threatened or feeling like our children be disruptive imagine what it must be like for them right in that moment our child needs an ally and who, who is that <laughs> It's this guy with two thumbs pointing back at me, right? President Obama. And, no, I no? don't think so. It's me. Oh, it's dang. me. I thought I had that one. Oh, sorry, Trey. Sorry, Trey. <laughs> but by being able to get on our kids' level and acknowledging that in the midst of whatever they're experiencing, that you're their ally, that now they feel supportive. And that's an opportunity for to create space for us to do the next step which is to listen to our kids, right? Now, Trey, I got to say, this is probably the hardest step because I think as parents, what I've seen and what I've experienced myself, I have a knee-jerk reaction to want to tell them or explain or correct or it is not my first instinct to listen. What? I, I, don't, like, I don't do that. I don't ever do that, Jeff. I'm sorry. I, I'm afraid you're on your own with this one. <laughs> well, okay. So you're being facetious here, but I mean, would, would you agree with that? That that's not oh, our first instinct. Oh, absolutely. No, I know yeah, it's, it's so not even. Hard. It's not even an instinctual thing for me. It's like the one thing that I go to is not to be that way. So that's a real challenge to to my nature as a as a parent or even as an adult is to to slow down and listen first before I respond right and so once we once we've created that room where we can listen then the next part of step three here is well, we have on. to validate before oh, we leave I that can I, can I hit two real quick sure, sure. Uh, you know I want to finish my story with what happened with Grant too because it, right. I mean it, it taught me something too you know once I once I chilled out and I started thinking okay is this an opportunity for me to bear my heart to him and tell him how I'm feeling about him and and what I you know what I what I want to see different and, and I did that to him fundamentally what what I finally did after being a jerk for like six days straight so I'm, I'm about to I'm about to portray myself in a positive light and I typically don't like doing that on the show because I think we learn more from getting to see the screw-ups of Trey type thing so after six days of being a total just turd wide towards my son I finally got this where I was like you know what what if this is a great opportunity to bear myself and I and I told him exactly how I felt and and I let him know that he is my 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 empathetic my sweet and kind son who is always so quick and compassionate to take care of people and I let him know how it, it created feelings of distrust in me and I, you know I bared that intimacy out there for him and I remember that I I you know I, I told him how that you know I said despite all of this son I want you to know how proud I am of you and he just he just sat down and he just put his head on my chest and he just sat there for mm-hmm. a second. And he goes, dad, I think I'm about to cry. And I said, <laughs> I told him, I said, son, you just go ahead. And he just yeah. started bawling. Just, just, it, it was that redemptive, ugly crying. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you, you yeah. just see, you just see it. And he got done and he goes, man, I feel so much better dad. But you know, I had two options in this. One of these, I could look at this as being, oh, God, we're going to have to trudge through this. Or I had the opportunity of looking at this and saying, you know, these negative behaviors, as much as I don't like them, could very well be an opportunity for us to grow together instead of it splitting us apart. And it was uncomfortable to consider. It was very uncomfortable to, to initiate that with him. But the minute that we started it, it broke loose a dam of a whole bunch of other stuff. I would argue that it was the real emotions that were being covered up underneath all of the anger and bad behavior stuff. 
I, I'd agree with you on that, Trey. Uh, and, and I think that's really powerful um, because you just described this third step here is you you were, were willing to listen when he said, Dad, we haven't played. You haven't been around for, for two weeks. Um, that that created room there, that, that moment of vulnerability with him. And for you to listen to that and respond and to validate him in, man, I, I, I get what that feels like. And then for you to, to also replace that with a different emotion and and say yeah, yeah i can i can see that but here's here's what i really see even through all this behavior i'm so proud of you son you know for him to be able to to see that redemptive piece in there is, is so important and so you did exactly what step three was you listened with empathy and then you validated what they were experiencing and you were even able to to transform it um and and I think that step four here is is continuing on with uh, with with what you were doing there with with Grant and what what uh, you know I try to do with my kids when I get it right, which is to help them label their emotions. This is what I was jumping to earlier. Is our kids don't always have this vocabulary, yeah, and even if they do have the vocabulary, sometimes when we're overwhelmed by our feelings, we don't have the mental ability to access those words, right? And um, I want to I want to just from the voice of experience, I want to throw out a word of caution here that sometimes when we are trying to validate and we're trying to help them label their emotions, um, we can do it too definitively, right? I bet you're feeling sad right now. Oh, I bet you're feeling really jealous of your, I I bet you're feeling where, where we're saying what they must be feeling because from our perception, that's all we can see. And I want to caution parents as we're helping our children label their emotions, be very tentative. Say, I'm going to take a guess here. You know, you know, if I were in your shoes, I might be feeling this. Is is that what you're feeling? You know, and and take it from a create room for them to say, no, that's not what I'm feeling, right? Because we want them to label it correctly. And sometimes I think, in because it is an uncomfortable experience to be that vulnerable. Sometimes our kids will just agree with us to get us to move on out of that moment, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you know, dad. Yeah, dad. Yeah, oh, dad. I can't tell you. I, I had so many parents. First off, I've been this parent, but I had so many parents that would come into my office and they would be like, "Well, Trey, this is going on, and this is what's happened. I know this is what they're feeling, and 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 I don't understand why they can't work this out." And I would bring the kid in, and I'd be like, "Okay, tell me what they're feeling." And, well, I know they're feeling this, and I would look at that kid, and they would look at me, and they would just <laughs> remember this oh. one kid. I remember this one kid. He that I sat there and I looked at him after I had asked this question. This parent had stated what he was feeling, and he just looked at me and with the most ninja look, just sat there and he just I'm talking just very passively shook his head like that is not what i'm thinking <laughs> and i said okay i just saw you shake your head and i know you didn't want me to necessarily portray that but tell me what you're thinking and i remember that we 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 shared this and i remember the first response out of this this dad's mouth was that's not what he's feeling <laughs> and we sat there for a little knew. bit and the kid really elaborated on what was going through his head and finally the dad was like i remember the look on his face he was just shocked he was like oh my god i am sorry you know, he was just so sorry. But I think a lot of times we get this in this idea. I went through a situation. Remember that, that empathy can sometimes can actually be clouding because we can say, when I went through this, this is how I felt. And we assume yeah. that our child is going to feel the exact same way when they go through it. And we're going to find that probably several times when we do that, we're going to connect with them because that is what they're feeling. But you will sometimes be surprised that our kids are not us and they will not experience every emotion the same way that we do for the same types of situations. Not even in sometimes the exact same situations that we go through that they also go through exactly the same. They're going to feel the same way as us. And so that this is this is great. It's a, it's a great idea right here. I love this. 
All right. So to recap here, we've got step one, become aware of our child's feelings. Step two, recognize that as an opportunity to connect with intimacy and to teach. Then we need to listen (laughs) before we do anything else and validate what they're experiencing. And then step four here, help them label their emotions, right? This is that process of of deepening and, and the teaching part. And then finally, now... Now that we've connected, now that we've, we've contextualized what's going on and what we're feeling, now we can problem solve and address the behavior, right? Once your child has expressed themselves and, and has words to describe what they're feeling, that creates space for, okay, how do we deal with this? How do we respond? What's something we could do here, right? Um, and this isn't always something where, once again, we, we need to be really definitive and tell our kids, okay, well, here's what you need to do, right? A lot of times a, a great question is, okay, well, um, what do you think we should do now, right? And and start exploring options for them to be able to learn how to self-regulate and learn how to choose a behavior instead of us telling them how to behave, you know? This problem solving is not, I know the answer to the problem and I'm going to tell you what the answer is. It's a, let me help you figure out what the best answer is or even a, an answer that will work. Sometimes your kids may surprise you because they might come up with a better response than you were already thinking of, right? And so it's, it's a great, at this step, you got to set limits for them. Listen, I know you're angry, um, but even in your anger, you can't hit your brother. So what's something that you could do here, right? And allow them to, you know, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to go to your room. It's okay to, to, there's a lot of things it's okay to do. What would you like to do here? What's, what's an okay way to solve what you're feeling right now, right? And let them explore that even as we kind of give them the parameters and we set the limits. You can be angry, but you can't break something. You can't, you know, you can be sad, but you can't sit here and cry all afternoon. You can sit here and cry for five, ten minutes, right? I'm not going to tell you you can't feel sad, but crying all afternoon kind of is – you know, it, it has other consequences. So what's something else you could do, right? And help them do that problem-solving piece. You know, I think Mr. Dediger is hitting on a really good point here, is that when we enter into a place where we experience uh, empathy, I think it also is, is a uh, in a lot of ways, a bed cousin to... I don't even know if a bed cousin is a real thing. I may have just made that up, guys. But <laughs> it's a cousin to sympathy. And when we start to feel sorry for people, uh, I've seen that's another one of the dangerous things about sorrow when we feel sorry for people is that sometimes because we feel bad for them, we often will allow behavior that's not necessarily acceptable. And number five Ooh, is really yeah. good about reminding us that our kids are experiencing emotionally traumatic things. They're going to. They're going to experience those things at our expense because of what we did. They're going to experience sorrow. It is going to happen. And a lot of times, I think parents, let me rephrase that. A lot of times, I think I get this mentality of because I was such a crappy dad that I'm going to let these things slide. Mm, And that is not necessarily the answer. And I'm going to go as far to say, in a lot of cases, in most all cases, that's not the right answer. Uh, Allowing bad behaviors to go on once we realize how we've messed up or how maybe we've contributed to these things is not the answer. And they still have to learn how to grow up to be functioning, healthy adults in this. And so us running to or playing with sorrow as a way to not allow us to step up and be those moms and dads we need us to be is not the right answer. Sometimes we have to, even in the middle of us screwing up and their behaviors at reacting to what we just did, we still have to teach them how to accept those things. However, we want to weight it very heavily with that understanding of how they're feeling, what they're feeling, and number four and up from what we just talked about. But I, I think it's brilliant that, that, that this author hit on this because we do need to round it off with that. It's a great, great point. 
Trey, this article caught me not just from the title, but uh, but as I read through it, it really jumped out at me as this being uh, a great explanation of the principles that we espouse here on the Real Family Guys podcast. And so I think that um, that the Hey Sigmund website has a lot of great stuff on it. And this, uh, this particular author, uh, Mickey mm-hmm. Dedinger, did a great job of talking about what it means to be an emotion coach. So... Uh, Listeners, you're, you're out there. You may have coached your kids in soccer. You may have coached them in t-ball. But if we're not coaching them in emotions, I think we're missing an opportunity to teach them what he calls the most important skill that they can have. And, and, and I'd highly agree. So we hope you've enjoyed this uh, this week's episode. Uh, if you have uh, some feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. If you want to tell us that we're wrong, uh, tell us why. Let us know. And uh, we, we'd like to consider that. If you, uh, you want to tell us how great we are, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to that you know, a little bit. <laughs> um, but if you have something else you'd like to to explore or, uh, or something that uh, you'd like to pass along that, uh, that has jumped out at you and caught your eyes uh, that's out there on the, uh, the interwebs that uh, we could share with other parents out there and help them be the best parents they can be and the parents that their kids need and deserve, then share it with us. Uh, all the ways that Trey mentioned at the beginning of the show to contact us are out there. Um, as always, we appreciate you guys and glad to, uh, to walk alongside you in this uh, task of parenting for, uh, for an hour or so. And we invite you to, uh, to join us when we do it again next week. Hey, we'll see you all next week.